Hello and welcome back to another episode of Politics on Draft with me, James Tabor. And me, Kartik Sawney. Join us as we go through the political news of the world and try to make sense of everything that's going on. Each week we'll talk about current affairs, political topics and offer some insight, research and opinions along the way. We'll also be bringing on some special guests with interesting stories and their experience of politics. So whether you're a massive politics nerd or someone who simply wants to know more, you're very welcome to join us every Friday from 8am, just in time for your morning commute. So get comfortable, get a drink, and remember, the best politics is always on draft. Hello, Kartik. How are you doing? I'm good, James. How are you? Yeah, I'm not too bad. Uh, we've got a busy, busy session uh, coming up because we've got an amazing uh, sort of speaker coming on to talk about uh, his views on uh, Insulate Britain. Um, but uh, yeah, let's start off with the usual. Kartik, what are you drinking today? I'm sticking to Beaver Town Neck Oil. I've had it in a pub a couple of times and I love it. So. Not bad. They've kind of and gone everywhere was, in pubs it, at the it, moment. Yeah, and, and it was the only one that was available on the way back from work. So There yeah. you go. There you go. I'm having Whitstable Bay Pale Ale, um, which, yeah, is really nice. Big up Whitstable. Nice. Go there. Um, yeah, so let's talk about this week. We'll, we'll come in with your new story because I think yours is you know, pretty important and very current. So uh, take it away, Karthik. So last week I covered Nadim Zahawi, the new, the now former chair of the Conservative Party. This week I'm covering Dominic Raab, the current Deputy Prime Minister and Justice Secretary, or at least the Deputy Prime Minister and Justice Secretary at the moment. Once again, we don't know how backbench he's going to be by next week. Presumably <laughs> yeah. and hopefully he's going to be so backbench he's going to be out by the bins. Um, so, Dominic Raab, he's done it all. He's the former Brexit secretary. He's the former foreign secretary. He's the former justice secretary. He was also briefly the former deputy prime minister. And then he became the, de- the current deputy prime minister and the current justice secretary after Rishi Sunak became prime minister. He has not one, not two not even three, but 24 allegations of bullying uh, against him from civil servants. And all of these departments that Rob has led in the past, uh, that the department leads have warned him about his behaviour and have also submitted evidence about the alleged bullying to the Cabinet Office and to the Independent Ethics Advisor. Now, prior to and over the course of his political career, Dominic Rob has also entered into settlements covered by NDAs with former colleagues. Now, this is in his legal career and in, and in his political career. The current complaints, however, involve his dealings with civil servants, um, including some in senior roles that he allegedly belittled and demeaned, and I'm quoting here, and was very rude and aggressive to each. Now, officials close to the inquiry are said to have been shocked by some of the claims that have emerged, not because, oh, you know, Dominic Grubb's a lovely bloke, but because they felt physically sick after the meetings about Dominic Grubb. They were regularly in tears. In at least one case, one left feeling suicidal as a result of the alleged behaviour. Yeah, that's what Starmer brought up in PMQs today, wasn't it? Yeah, hmm. yeah. And it's true. And of course, Rishi Sunak came back to him about something else, which yeah. we can come on to if you're, if you're keen on it, James. But Tory MPs are privately concerned that Rishi Sunak's handling of the row in the wake of Nadim Zahawi's tax affair could could undermine his pledge to instill integrity, professionalism and accountability at every level um, as he tries to move away from the Boris Johnson era of the party. But um, former cabinet minister and uh, the lovely MP Jacob Rees-Mogg said last Tuesday now that we mustn't be too snowflakey about the allegations levelled against the Justice Secretary. He also added, and now I'm quoting here, people need to be able to say this job has not been done well enough and needs to be done better. In response to Jacob, I think very right. And on that note, 
I think you, you did a shit job as leader of the Commons, and I'm sure your constituents would agree that laying down on the benches and acting like you just don't care is a sign that you are not doing your job well enough. Well, I, I, I don't suppose he's actually, that Jacob Rees-Mogg is going to be in his position uh, in the next uh, election, because I think, you know, he's, he's very close to Tiverton, and obviously that turned over to uh, to Lib Dem, and so I think a lot of the kind of Somerset region areas will, will do the same. It, in regards to... I mean, I, I guess the way that Rishi Sunak has, has handled, I mean, in a sense, he has done better than Boris in that he has acted. Now, the degree of, you know, decisively is, is, is of course, up for debate, but mm-hmm. he didn't do the whole, I'm going to delay it three months, three months, three months, three months, let kind of like water go under the bridge. Um, that being said, obviously, uh, you know, that doesn't mean he's totally scot-free, but... I think his strategy is different. And we covered this sort of briefly last week. But mm-hmm. his, strategy is, his strategy is appoint an advisor, have them investigate it for a week, which is, by the way, if an investigation is lasting one week, there wasn't really that much to investigate. They already really knew before they started the investigation. Oh, I'm sure they did. I'm sure he knew what was... Good. Yeah. And... The thing is, he Nadim Zahawi's tax affairs were being investigated last July. He was still a, he was still appointed the chair of the Conservative Party. Dominic Roberts was being investigated last summer as well. I'm not sure the specific month, but he was still appointed as Deputy Prime Minister and Justice Secretary. So, yes, his approach is different to Boris Johnson, but I think it's just as bad. It's just him trying to distance mm. distance himself and. Yeah, it's the first time in in the hundred days that a cabinet minister has to be sacked. I think, but I think something else also happened earlier, which I can research and come back I to. I think someone on my head. I think I think something else also happened earlier. But my question is, Nadim Zahawi's obviously been sacked. If 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 our listeners didn't know, Nadim Zahawi was sacked. I think at the over the weekend. Um, I don't think Dominic Raab is going to be sacked by next week because it would just look really, really bad if they're sacking week after week mm. after week. I think he'll be pushed out in some sort of reshuffle, which I think should be imminent in a couple of months. But Quite possibly. Yeah. But I think he will end up going. Um, and I think it's actually worse than Johnson. I, I know I said it's just as bad. I think it's worse because Johnson and... Starmer pointed this out in PMQs. Johnson wasn't, you know, pledging integrity and accountability at every level of government. Rishi Sunak mm. is, and he's he's trying to distance himself. And I can see what how he's trying to distance himself. And to be honest, any decent politician worth his salt would do that. But we know that Dominic Raab's a bully. We knew Nadim Zahawi had dodgy tax affairs, yet they were still hot. Yeah, and I suppose, and that is where you know. The accountability and I think the thing is is that I d- in terms of what you said about the conservatives you know privately sort of having those conversations about their kind of you know their potential confidence in uh Sunak I don't think we'll see anything as drastic as we have seen in the latter end of 22 because I just don't think that the conservative party can afford it whether or not you're yeah. socially liberal leaning conservative or whether you're sort of ERG, sort of Jacob Rees-Moggs of the party. Um, so that being that being said, I in terms of the actual kind of like the confidence of Rishi Sunak, I don't think that will change. Also because a lot of MPs on, on that side of the, the chamber, I think, are quite looking forward to going into opposition, potentially, that prospect. <laughs> so I think that there, there has been some that have actually come out and said that. Um, in terms of Raab him, himself, it's such a difficult one because Raab personally campaigned for both times that Sunak... You know, he was one of the first people to say Sunak is for the job, whereas Zahawi flip-flopped and... You know, there was times where, you know, could he go back to supporting Johnson and stuff like that? I think that. he did at one um, point. He, he might have. Yeah, I, I think I think it was it was quite possible. And he was also I trying think, to stand. But... Yeah. And I think I think that's part in part the issue is that what sort of strategy is Sunak going to employ in this particular scenario because it's a case by case with gavin williamson which was the, i think the one that you were referring to yeah that was um, it yeah thank you for back before the um before the winter break 
you know, he was a minister, he was a minister without portfolio in the kind of very specific terms, not like party chairman means this is that and the other. Yeah, but he was he was sacked for bullying as well, right? He was, yeah, he was sacked uh, for bullying. Um, that was it. So, so arguably, by the same precedent, this sh- should you know be the same. The difference is, is that you know Dominic Raab is less expendable, you know, and I and this might be a concern for Sunak. If you're not going to have Rob in the minister uh, as the minister for justice, who are you going to have? Because there's not as if there's a big pool of Tory MPs going, yeah, hundred percent, I want to be in that cabinet. So mm. it's I, I, see the thing mm. is, I think it's temporary. Um, you know, whoever is going to be appointed the next next justice secretary, whoever's going to be appointed the next Conservative chair, is all temporary, and I don't think it really matters. That's why no one's rushing to ask. You know, who are you appointed Conservative chair? Oh my God, the country's going to burn because it doesn't really matter. But I've got but a I couple think, names in my head. But I think, we're, I, think we're, I think we're so, I know it seems like a while, but we're so close to general election fever that what will happen is, is like you said, I think Sunak will have a cabinet reshuffle as he starts to move into kind of, you know, lead up to general election. He needs, you know, strategically good ministers in his cabinet i'm not sure who those ministers are we'll have to find out who he who he uh yeah. who he shuffles in and out but um yeah certainly some uh some tough days lie ahead for sunak um and as i've, as I've said before and i'll say it again i think everything that sunak needs to do and i think will do is all in the name of damage limitation because i think that's all he can do so I agree. You had a story for us as well, James. Oh, it's, it a very, it's, a, it's a very quick one, but it's it's just the fact that it's been three years since we left the European Union, which has sparked the debate of, well, you know, how are we doing? In which I think most, <laughs> you know, normal people and, you know, it's quite funny because 16-year-old me would be going, no, James, don't concede. Um, but... <laughs> Most people would probably agree that it's it's not been going well. The IMF figures just got published saying that we are the only advanced country that is going to be going into the recession in the next year. Um, we are performing worse than sanctioned Russia at the moment. And I believe another thing that the IMF uh, reported was that authoritarian regimes around the world are currently performing better um, on average, in comparison to your uh, in, in, in comparison to your average liberal democracy, um, so I mean we, we could talk about the IMF. That's just more for context. EU. I mean, it's it's so difficult this conversation because um, you know you don't want to be regressive. You don't want to be that whole like oh yeah, let's kind of just you know scrap everything and go back. And that's something that Starmer is battling at the moment. Um, but something does need to change. And in my opinion, and I, th- I think you'll probably be in agreement uh, with me, is that I know we've left the EU, but we do need to be in, in, in communication with them and in good mm-hmm. communication, good terms. Um, yeah, I agree. And and to be honest, I, I don't mean to toot the horn of my own party, but that is Labour Party policy, <laughs> to have closer communication. With yes, but the... But the the issue is for Labour is that, you know, you've got a lot of red wall seats who were fully to... to but believe. we've had a look at the polling. I don't know if you saw the polling that came out yesterday. And, and you know, I'll mention it later as well when discussing uh, media and stuff with our special guest. But the polling shows clearly that people are overwhelmingly in support of, in support of the fact that Brexit was a mistake. Now, I, I don't know to what extent... I don't know how those people were polled. I, I, I can't question the nature of their polling, but mm. most people are questioning their choices. Was it, was it a YouGov poll? Because maybe Zahari had an influence. I, 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 I doubt <laughs> YouGov polled it. Um, and we're not, we're not going to publicly question whether Zahari <laughs> uh, and YouGov are still in cahoots or not, because that would be a case on our, yeah, <laughs> our yeah, podcast yeah. and we don't have any money so sponsor us yeah <laughs> no it is it it's definitely one of those things and like for instance yesterday um there was a radio four interview and uh 
bloody Jacob Reese Mogg, speaking about him way too much, we're giving too much publicity, um, was uh, talking well, to he's Alistair Campbell. the future leader of the Conservative Party. So. Absolutely not. Um, as I said, I don't <laughs> think he's even going to have a seat. Uh, as we, he, Yesterday, he was in an interview uh, with, it was a Radio 4 show debate about whether Brexit and everything. And Jacob Reese, Jacob Reese Mogg was asked if um, if he believes that in forty years' time we'll be out of we'll be still out of Europe. And he said, "Oh, absolutely!" And sort of said, "We're going to sort of flourish with the means of Brexit." Uh, and in comparison, you had Alistair Campbell who was asked it, and he just went, "Well, I don't know." It's two very, very different extremes. It's, 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 it's two different things. But also he was, you know, he was trying to justify, you know, that sort of the reason why the economy is in shit at the moment is not due to Brexit. And I know it's Wait, if, if it's if it's not due if it's not due to Brexit, then it's due to what? Thirteen years of Conservative government? Well, I mean, you can you can go. You can or are go we on limiting the, it to the Liz Trust? You can go. You can go on to party politics, and that's one of the many facets. Of course, you can talk about Ukraine. Of course, you can talk about you know there's the stuff to do with the Suez Canal. Of course, you can talk about Russia. Um, but I mean, as I said, it's too multifaceted. And I the simple fact is, is that Brexit is one of those facets. And if we are going to go ahead and prosper, we need to sort out every facet as it is. I don't think Ukraine is kind of changing necessarily, but prove me wrong. Who knows what will happen? I don't particularly think Ben Wallace is uh, going leaps and strides ahead to kind of make sure that that happens. Um, so where do we look? Maybe Brexit. Maybe let's strike a deal. But who knows? Maybe I'm just being too wishful thinking there. Um, but that's 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 my story. And I think this is a good time to go for the break. Um, we're going to be coming back with uh, with climate activist Cameron Ford, who, of course, you'll all remember being in the video with Mike Graham on Talk TV, where Mike Graham seemed to insinuate that you can grow concrete. Uh, so we're going to talk about that in depth and also try and find out sort of what the real Cameron Ford is like, not the one that you see battling out with Lawrence Fox, Richard Madeley and all of the other right wing media pundits. everyone and welcome back after the break we have with us a very special guest a guest who in my opinion has not been provided with adequate scope to discuss his opinions in public Cameron Ford an activist and spokesperson for Insulate Britain his goal is simple to make sure that policymakers insulate all UK homes by 2030 to cut carbon emissions and end fuel poverty however media noise tends to drown out these goals rather they start to question the methods of protest Whilst we will come on to these methods of protest, we want to understand the motivations and the policy that goes behind it. So Cameron, we're going to get get to the tough questions on the methods of protest at the end. But first, I'm going to ask, what are you glued to today, Cameron? Just your screen, unfortunately. Unfortunately? No, it's (laughs) lovely. But no, what I am going to ask is, what are you having for a drink? I'm having a Guinness, because that was just what was in the fridge. And to be honest with you, I thought... When I saw the original request come in, I thought the show was all about drafts, as in like drafty houses. So, what's <laughs> <it>? <laughs> so I thought, great, wow, that's like a niche market, surely, but okay, we'll go with that. And it wasn't doing your last email, you said, make sure you got a drink. It just clicked, it's like, oh, that's not a draft. <laughs> <laughs> maybe, maybe we need to change our marketing, I don't know. Yeah, but the, the, the James... politics of gale force wins. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> There is a lot of politics there as well, judging by yeah, the comments yeah. on GP News' uh, videos. But, James, you had a couple of questions to talk about media parents, so why don't you kick it off? Yeah, I mean, to be honest, yeah, great to have you on here. And uh, I hope that we can sort of, as well as, you know, obviously we hope that you can be uh, a great guest. We also hope that we can be really good, uh, uh, really good hosts for you as well and kind of ask you some, you know, good questions and not just sound like your average uh, Richard Madeley rant, to be honest. Mm. Um, so I, I guess my kind of first thing I wanted to ask you is that, I mean, really just how, like, how is, how, how have you been in terms of all these media appearances? Because, I mean, you search up Cameron Ford on YouTube and it's just 
you know, Lawrence Fox slams insolent Britain representative mm. or, you know, I mean, there was <laughs> one of the most hilarious videos of uh, with Mike Graham on, the, on talk TV where it was, I, I couldn't even believe that, <laughs> that he, he's, he's sort of suggested you can grow concrete. But how is it kind of interacting with those sort of characters in the media? I mean... Like I was, so I was doing the campaign before I started being a spokesperson, and I don't really know which is harder. Like they're both really hard. In some ways, I would prefer be going in and out of police cells um, and being dragged across the road. And then they're both they're both activism. I see it like basically I had like a two hour training session on a Sunday, and then the, the next day I was on GB News um, with Colin Frazier, and it. You know, we're just like we're just stepping up, and so yes, it's nice when we're interviewed by someone that actually wants to like open up a conversation and actually try to understand why we would do like why would someone glue their hand to the M25 like it's mental, and so it's nice to try and open that up. But most of the time, like a lot of the requests we were getting were like the GB News, were the Talk TV, and it's very combative and like sometimes i wonder like why are we taking those requests so much because you know we know they're not trying to understand us but i think what we recognize is like we need to reach a certain demographic that is just that's the source of their news you know they read the daily mail and they watch gb news and that that's their only time potentially we've got a window there to talk about lack of insulation or the climate crisis and so we kind of sometimes begrudgingly took the interviews because it's an opportunity to make people aware about the reality that we're in. Hmm. No, I, to I, t I totally understand that. And I mean, it's a very good point on the kind of like talking about the demographic. And I think from our perspective, as you know, people who are sort of publishing our own media, it's a case of, you know, regardless of what ideology you sort of associate with or where you sit, I personally just would like to see some, you know, good journalism asking mm. these questions and, you know, like actually finding out because, you know, and we'll delve into this later. I would like to know some of the motivations behind, you know, gl gluing yourself, like, yourself to the M25. But, you know, these GB News interviews, it's all about how can I, as the interviewer, be the spotlight? And in my mind, mm. regardless of whether you're, you know, left, right, whether you're, you know, you know far left, far right, whatever, I just want to see good journalism. Yeah. yeah. I think we all do. And my, my question is slightly personal, Cameron, so you don't have to answer it. But I've spoken, to a, I've, I've spoken to and listened to a lot of people that have gone onto these news channels. And often the demographic that they reach can be quite extreme politically in, the, mm -hmm. in a completely different sense to yourself. So... After going on to GB News, after going on to, you know, talk TV, do you tend to receive any abuse? Um, I mean, I was receiving abuse, um, like, whilst I was on the road. Like, the Daily Mail did a thing on me. They, like, um, I had closed my Facebook down because I'd been warned I saw, about I saw the Daily thing. Mail article, unfortunately. And then I, I opened it up to ask a question on a self-build group. And basically, they like within a day, they just swooped in and took everything um, and then write what they do. And like the comments on that, I did go through some of the comments on that. Um, and it's like pretty dark, like how mm. angry people can appear to be. And there's some poor other Cameron Ford in Sheffield who had his address, his, his joinery <laughs> workshop address yeah. posted on there, even though in the article it says I'm from Cambridge. Uh, not the brightest bunch, but um, yeah, it, it isn't pleasant. I think to a degree, like, like you have to have coping mechanisms, and I think I did then find after that the the video that went that went really viral. They're like, oh, actually, comedy is a much better way through, <laughs> and I, and the hate did like generally quieten a, down a lot after that mm. interview, mm. and I think that interview just showed. I'm just a normal bloke and I'm like, and like most of the people probably like who love Mike Graham also work in the trades or like, mm. you know, like I'm, I'm just a chippy 
who's terrified of the situation we're in and is and is not just whinging about it or ignoring it. I'm like doing something, whether it's right or wrong, I don't know, but we're doing something. Um, and I think also that interview showed people what we're up against in the media because it really shone a light in just the delusion that these people have. They'll literally say anything to to win an argument. I don't know. I don't know what mm. he was trying to do, really. And it is mental. James, I'm sorry if I'm interrupting you. Yeah, it is no, mental. No. This is just a comment, Cameron. It's not a joke. Uh, it's, not, it's not a question, sorry. Um, but it is mental as to how much influence the media has on people. Mm. Like, you know, people say, oh, influence media. And the words go together and they click very well. But, you know, you think about Brexit, for example. Yeah. And this doesn't require a comment, but a poll came out today, and, and I tend to keep up with politics. Um, a poll came out today that most people regret Brexit around around Britain, mm, yeah. other than an area in Norwich. Um, <laughs> I'm not calling out Norwich here, but um, other than an area in Norwich, most people oppose Brexit. But the Labour Party, or even some people in the Conservative Party, will never come out and say that they they oppose Brexit because of what the media will do to them Mm. on in the dailies the next day and 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 that's just interesting to me about how public policy forms and i guess that's just my own personal perspective but um james if you don't have any questions can i move on to a policy question yes no absolutely so my question is insulation as a form of energy saving has been Mm. around for a very long time from what i understand Mm. it was in my gcse science textbook i'm 21 now um but if we've known about it for so long why do you think they haven't installed it in so many homes and the government is not pushing it forward? Additionally, do you think insulating is affordable for most people? Because I've seen differing figures online. Mm. Um, I guess it's like the same as always. you just got to follow the money. And generally, the money in politics follows back to the fossil fuel companies. And they've got no incentive in selling you less energy to heat your home. Like, mm. there's There's... That's what it's about, really. They don't, they want you to spend as much as you can on, on energy. And so insulation's been slammed. Like, it, we've had these stop-start grants that put, put a lot of businesses out. You know, they're waiting for the grant money to come through. They can't pay the people to do the work. Um, yeah, David Cameron quoting, saying, we've got to cut the green crap, you know, just rolling back on this. It's, and, and, it, and it's often a lot of, like, um, dissonance, you know, all and yeah, and like insulation on its own has caused mold. Like that is an issue. I definitely mm. don't deny that. And I do. We do have groups that kind of a little bit attack insulate Britain because they're like, well, you know, but insulation equals mold, and da 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 da. And it's like, well, you can't put insulate and ventilate and properly retrofit houses, Britain. No, it like, mm. doesn't fit on a banner. We had to go for something a bit more catchy. Mm-hmm. Uh, but yeah, it is complex, and and the government just doesn't seem to be able to grasp it. Like, so I'll I'll stick to the question, which is like, I think they're not pushing for it because it doesn't really it, it helps people, and they don't care about helping people; they care about helping profit, mm-hmm. and that's why we've not seen any sort of move on it in the way that we need to. I mean, this mm-hmm. this country has literally some of the worst housing in Western Europe. We're the sixth wealthiest nation in the world. Mm-hmm. Like, how does that add up? Mm, I mean, and, and, oh yeah, sorry, carry on. Go ahead, James. Yeah, yeah. No, I think, I think they're definitely. I mean, something you touched on there was like social social housing. I mean, there definitely needs to be reforms in that more generally, and that's kind of just that's even external from the debate about where sort of it fits in uh, to the environment. Um, obviously, we're talking here about the government, and I know we're going to talk about labor a little bit later because it's kind of it's they're teeing up as if they're going to be in uh in office in 2024 uh do you think that kind of uh how you put it as you know only caring about profit and not about sort of people is exclusive to the conservative government or do you think that could potentially be an issue even with a labor government perhaps i think we're so beyond at this point where where there's there's diff- genuine differences in parties because politics isn't run by the parties that are in power. It, you know, there's very little difference. I, 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 I genuinely believe that, you know, Labour is more left than the Tories, etc. those sort of basics. 
but it, it's kind of a puppet show for what's going on in the background. Um, so I don't think much much will change um, by the party. I think it'll only happen. Personally, I think it'll only happen when the, when the people are on the streets and we grind this country to a halt. Which is why you know we targeted the M25, which is like the the economic arteries of London. Mm. Like mm. the only language they talk is money, and you uh, and you have to cause economic disruption uh, for them to listen. Mm. Interesting. We'll talk about uh, Labour obviously a little bit more in depth later, and about some of their policy that they brought out. Kartik, uh, you're next. Yeah, you mentioned people going out on the streets, and I'm I'm not sure if you've been tracking what happened yesterday in Parliament, but the government, in the House of Commons at least, passed the third reading of the Public Order Bill, and I'm sure you've read up on that, you know, being a part of Interlake Britain. So, A, what do you think about the Public Order Bill? And then, two, it was it's a bit of a while ago, but what do you think about the government scrapping the Green Homes Grant? On the public order bill, like to be honest with you, I haven't really paid much attention because it doesn't change anything. Mm-hmm. Like at the end of the day, the situation we face is critical. You know, mm-hmm. we're in the sixth mass extinction. We're facing an existential crisis like we've never understood. Mm-hmm. And so, to us, it doesn't matter what the laws are. Like we know what is the right thing to do. And I've said okay. this before. Like until they bring out the death penalty, nothing's going to stop us. Like this is what we're doing. Please don't give them any ideas. I mean, the, I mean, the former Home Secretary doing. has suggested it before. Yeah, I think I'm. I'm part of like just. I think people. Like we've seen it in in previous, um, like in the civil rights movement. It, lots of things you can't pin it down to one thing. Started turning that ship around. It was obviously loads of different campaigns and leaders and speeches and grassroots stuff going on but when the freedom riders came about and they risked their civil liberty by breaking segregation rules riding into the deep south on buses knowing that they were going to get beaten up and potentially killed and then went to move to hard labor camps evidence shows that's what catalyzed people when they see people risking their civil liberty and Mm -hmm. so in a way they're making it easier for us to risk our civil liberty by literally just holding hands on a road, apparently, these days. You know, you can get 12 months in prison for, or shouting loudly. Like, Insulate Britain's campaign was designed to have people in prison during COP25 at the time. That's what we Mm -hmm. were planning. We went out with our prison books and our oranges every time we went out on the road, expecting to be put on remand. People don't understand. Like, we never meant it to go on for months we meant to be put on remand in prison to try and wake people up that this is serious enough that we would risk our freedom to make a noise about it. So in a way, them making these stricter rules, I think will have a, a, a backfiring effect because people are like, hang on, I, I don't live in Russia. You know, what's, what's this? I can't do this. I can't do that. And I mm. think it will actually mobilise more people. Mm. Um, That's very interesting. Yeah, I think, and actually I'm going to come into something that, Karthik uh, was going to ask because I think it's quite um, quite relevant. Um, obviously, you talk about the kind of extent to which uh, you know climate the climate issue is a crisis. I mean, like to talk about some of the language you've used. You know, you've talked about the sixth mass extinction. You're talking about the biggest you know crisis that uh, the world is facing at the moment. Um, I think we've talked throughout about you know public engagement and public support, and uh, I think it's fair to say that. Um, you know, there's been some very mixed opinions mm. as to uh, in terms of public support. So um, do you think that the use of this like harsh language is a good way to kind of engage people, but also sort of gain support? Because I can also kind of see the other side of it in that some people might kind of hear these like extinction this, you know, like crisis, this sort of like end of the world rhetoric and kind of you know, almost like shy away from it, like, oh, don't want to talk about that kind of thing. The same way, you know, if Putin was to go, for example, oh, we're going to nuke the West, everyone would kind of go, oh, no, don't want to, you know, talk about that sort of thing. Yeah, I I think 
like we as humans we struggle with change like that is it's mm. a fundamental thing we all share we like security we like to know what tomorrow looks like and it's a really hard thing to just go actually tomorrow might be really really different from what we're used to mm. and so i don't think we're it doesn't matter what language we use we're not going to wake up fast waves of people because it's freaking scary what's coming down the line mm -hmm. and and like we're not a political party we're not looking for votes we don't have to be popular we don't have to even really garner support our job is to be that that sharp edge we are the radical flank in, in, in social science you have the radical flank you have the moderate flank and like you can look at the trends of what people, um, I think it's called Social Change Lab, done, done studies on this, you, you know, the polling of what is the biggest concern to people, you know, Brexit and it was COVID, and, you know, the top concerns to people. And you can mirror when there is spicy action like Extinction Rebellion back in April 2019 and again with Insulate Britain last year. The, the polling shows that the climate crisis peaks at those points it mirrors that and so it, it without us we would maybe not even be talking about the, the 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 fuel poverty crisis in the same way that we are right now i mean even the google search trends people started googling insulating my house they weren't googling insulate britain those were the searches like we did an information campaign in a way and so people want to hate us and they can't understand why we would do something that that makes us so hated by us doing what we do, it makes green policies more preferable because people in the background mm -hmm. go, well, yeah, we do need to insulate homes. Oh, yeah, we are leakiest homes in Western Europe. You know, this is kind of in the background. So then when Greenpeace or the Green Party or Friends of the Earth are sort of talking about this, they're more likely to join those sorts of movements. And so we work hand in hand. It's just kind of how, soci how, how the sociology of this works it's like mm. yeah we're hated and it sucks i would love to be loved that's way nicer i'd love mm. to be waving a flag outside parliament but for me for whatever reason i found myself doing the more spiky edge of things because that's what's needed and we've got loads of people willing to wave a flag and not enough people willing to be the sharp edge of the of what needs to happen cameron it's interesting because me and my girlfriend debate this a lot you know, if to give you some insight, my girlfriend goes to SOAS and another very famous climate activist, uh, very recently famous climate activist, also goes See. to SOAS. Yes, that's the, I didn't want to name her in case they have or haven't kicked her out. But um, do you think your methods of you've sort of already answered this, but do you think your methods of protesting drive people away from climate activism, or do you think it's the only way that people and the media are going to listen to? Because We've. I've also done some reading on this, and after our interview with Tim Bale last season, um, he sent us an article from the conversation, um, and it was basically a sociological study and psychological study that, whilst it did reduce support for people like yourself, it didn't actually reduce support for the demands of people yeah. like yourself. So what do you think about that? Yeah, I mean, you're only going to get a handful of people that are actively going to eat more hamburgers just to spite us, you know. Like, there's, they, they're very vocal on the internet and they might appear like there's loads of them, but I don't think there is. Ge generally, I think a lot, most people are really concerned about what's going on. And I don't think people are, I have far more faith in humanity that they're actively going to, you know, be even more degrading to the environment because we wound them up or start mm. ripping out cavity wall insulation or something just to annoy people like yeah i think it's a it's a, it's a silly argument that like when we hear it we hear it in these right-wing spaces don't you think you're putting people off of the environment really is that the world you live in like you'd be put off of like caring for the environment because we annoyed you because we made you sit in traffic for a couple hours Yeesh, you need to go for a walk in the woods, mate. <laughs> yeah, James, would you like to jump in? Yeah, it's, it's quite interesting because actually from that Tim Bale, uh, I, I'm trying to think if he actually said it in the interview or whether it was a conversation. No, it was after. Um, we had a conversation yeah. after. Um, 
he said that the reality is, and especially in, I mean, that particular episode was about uh, the kind of future of the Tory party. Um, quite a lot of Tory MPs actually aren't really bothered about this, you know, like war on culture rhetoric that's being pushed mm. by the likes of Sweller Bravman. Most Tory MPs are very kind of, you know, economically conservative and the rest, they're happy to go with, but obviously there's mechanisms such as, you know, party whipping and stuff like that, that mm. kind of causes, you know, said sort of like just random backbenchers to not be able to, you know, fully enact their kind of viewpoint. Um, and it would be quite interesting to find out if there were any uh, conservative MPs in the background who uh, sort I think of... you're seeing it a bit with um, the new sort of conservative party. I can't remember the name right now. Reform UK. Yeah, you know, oh, and they're... Okay. they're they seem to have concerns about the environment. They think that the economy will save us still, mm. um, but they don't <laughs> like a lot of what the environmental degradation is, it, you know, a lot of what is happening in that in that realm. So I think you're right. I think at the end of the day, you know, every single one of those people in, in the Conservatives is human and, and, and they have kids and they worry about the mm. future. You know, I don't, I don't hate them at all. I think they're just... People with different opinions, I suppose. And uh, it's, Sorry, James, I'm going to interrupt yeah, you, but it's yeah. interesting because these people, you know, as, as Cameron said, Cameron's on the spiky end of politics. Right? You and I tend to be on the more moderate end of politics. Mm. And being on the moderate end of politics is fine. It depends on what you're doing with it. But the people on the people in the Conservative Party, I feel like most of them are willing to sit idly and listen to their whips and not comment about this or completely yeah. deny it. Because based on what I've seen in Parliament today, them just openly denying IMF figures, openly denying mm. what the Financial Times has said about the state of the economy over the next quarter, just openly denying mental health impacts on veterans, mm. whatever you think about war and, and stuff like that. It's, it's absolutely mental that they're willing to say whatever they want for their own personal development, irrespective of the fact that it's going to have an impact on their kids. Mm. But I'm sorry, again, I'm protect, protecting my opinion. The, there's the, the Labour coming out of... Uh, that's, yeah. that's the Labour coming out of me. But the question I want to go on to is, what brought you to Insulate Britain? And, and how did Insulate Britain start? Because for us as mere observers, it almost appeared mm. out of nowhere. Mm. I was having a jolly old time at a festival in the summer, you know, and I saw a talk... <laughs> called Insulate Britain, and I was like, I'd be interested to know how we could insulate Britain, you know, not thinking it was going to involve me gluing myself to the motorway. Um, and, yeah, like, they laid out where we're at in terms of climate science, and and, and they referred to, you know, the, the, the chief scientific advisor, previous chief scientific advisor, um, Sir David King, who was both Labour and Tory scientific advisor, um, basically saying that, that, that the next two to three years are, are pivotal in, in, what, in, in what we do. Like, it, it's make or break right now, you know. So, and I, I had been a little bit involved with XR. I'd never got arrested. I'd done a bit of well-being at, at stuff, you know. And I thought, well, I've just got to step up now, haven't I? Like, I'm probably going to step up at some point in the future. Um, so why not just bring it forward and do it now whilst it's actually got potentially the most, the, you know, I mean, it should have been done yesterday, ideally. But <laughs> today's the best thing we've then got. And so, and the campaign spoke to me because I, I'm really passionate about, like, building houses right and comfortably mm. and just like that, that, you know, real care in our homes, not houses, homes. That's what I like mm -hmm. to be building. Um, it's funny because sometimes when the police are arresting, they do this like five-step appeal and they go, oh, have you thought about what your friends are going to think about this? Oh, have you thought about how this is going to impact your family? And they go, oh, have you thought about how this is going to impact your career? And I'm like, this has been great for my career, mate. Like, people know me as like this, this, this carpenter with integrity. Oh, boo-hoo. Um, <laughs> you know, like, it just spoke to me, the campaign, and, and they were really, really well organised. Like, they really know there was just a lot of care about us. We did the training. We did a lot of the role play. We kind of knew what to expect um, when we went out onto the road. 
I just felt really well looked after in it. And it is a fantastic community to be a part of. Like, it really is. Like, if you're shitting yourself about the climate crisis, find a community and, like, join, like, active hope, not just, like, hoping for the best that carbon capture is going to sort us out. Like, Mm. doing something about it with other people that you trust with your life, you know. Like, tomorrow I'm taking the day off work because my friend's in court and I'm going to go and I'm going to just go be there in the public gallery and, like, and do that sort of support like it's amazing of what we're part of and it will go down in history and like if we make it in the future they'll be interviewing us as old fogies and i'll be talking about how like so and so is the best at getting underneath a police car with a lock on tube and you know all this like <laughs> the, the sort of like the actual scenes that i remember it's, it's you know we're taking a stand and it feels fucking good yeah, I just had a thought where I don't, I don't think I've actually ever spoke to someone who's been arrested. So this is a first for me, <laughs> and it's uh, quite a nice conversation. <laughs> not that you know of, <laughs> yeah, not that I know of. I don't know, Kartik, what have you been doing last week? Um, <laughs> no, uh, I'm, I'm going to kind of like wrap up in a way. I know, I know that we probably have a lot more to talk about it, but we are uh, sort of bed down to time. Um, I'd, I'd quite like to know the journey because I think most people would argue that you know protesting the way that we've seen uh, the likes of Insulate Britain and Just Stop Oil do is uh, you know is, is radical. I mean, you, you've said it, you said it yourself, and a lot of people may sort of suggest that it's kind of the last resort when all other sort of alternatives of political activism has failed. And so, my question to you is like, did you utilize? Uh, what some may argue to be more conventional methods, such as like maybe like lobbying petitions, letters to MPs, because I'd be quite interested to know the journey one takes to kind of get to the point where what mm. is only left to do is, as we've seen you done in the last sort of six months. I mean, I think that's where we're at now. Like all, all everything else has failed. Like if everybody knows that carbon, man, like man-made carbon emissions, are causing climate change in a devastating way like it's irrefutable and and still this government is talking about opening up coal mines and and exploring new oil and gas and in cambridge we've got schlumberger who are doing who are doing all in oil and gas exploration like these companies are still thriving and and what we've had up until this point of course we've had we've had like spicier end of stuff but we've had a lot of petitions you know you had two million people show up to the stop iraq war did we still go to Iraq? Like, we, these forms of protest, in a way, I think make us feel like we've done something. And that might sound a bit cold, but it does. Like, signing a petition from the comfort of your computer makes you feel like you did something today. But maybe it didn't, you didn't. And that's a hard thing to stomach. And, and like, what we do, we're... We, we're just ordinary people. I didn't grow up in a treehouse locking myself to some railway line I didn't want to go through. Like, that's not how I grew up. That's, we're just everyday people that have just run out of options. And, and we've looked at history and we've seen that nonviolent, and it has to be nonviolent, and it has to be accountable, you know, Everything we do, we don't run away from it. And there's so much power in that. It, it feels so good to do something that you know is breaking the law and that you're a criminal. You're doing it for the right reasons. And now you will go through the justice system all the way through saying exactly why you did it. Unfortunately, in the, in the justice system, we're being gagged in the trials. We can't talk about the climate crisis. We can't talk about fuel poverty. We can't even mention insulation. You know. That's what's going on in the courts right now with our trials in front of juries. It's a, it's like Alice in Wonderland. But we know we're doing the right thing and, and we can only look to history to prove that it is the right thing. You know, the suffragettes, they were the militant end and you had the suffragists that have been campaigning for decades. I don't think women would have got to the vote if you didn't have that direct action end of it. Hmm. Interesting. So I suppose just quickly, and I know Carl is going to bring in the last point, it's a kind of that like, lack of faith in the conventional politics. And I think that we can all agree around, regardless of viewpoint, that that's something that needs to change. You know, trust in the sort of conventional political mechanisms yeah. needs to be re-established. But I'll bring on to Kartik, who's going to kind of wrap things up here. Cameron, it's 
been a real pleasure having you on. Mm. And it's been completely unlike what I expected. Um, and we'll talk after the podcast as well, because it has been very, very enlightening. enlightening. But I just have a couple of questions to wrap up. The Labour Party has pledged for a greener and more digital future. Being the party most likely to win the next general election, can you give some policy recommendations to them? No rhetoric, just policy on ABC. This is what you should do if you want to protect our future. New builds should be A energy rated only. We should not be building new builds that are going to need retrofitting. That's what's going on right now. And so we need to up our standard of housing there. I think, personally, we should use the military to retrofit the huge numbers of, of housing that needs retrofitting because we have failed in skilling people up and we have pissed people off from Europe and they've left. And, and we do not have the skilled labour to do the retrofitting that's necessary. And so if they say that the, 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 the fuel poverty crisis is, is a knock-on effect from Ukraine... I see no reason why we shouldn't use the military to do some external wall insulation. It's a lot more useful than climbing over a wall. Um, those would be a couple. I think I think I'll, I can leave it short and sweet like that. We need to look at our housing more seriously. Um, and, and we need to do it in a way that isn't still tied up with the fossil fuel industry. We need to look at natural materials. We need to look at timber because you can grow it you know <laughs> that's the sort of thing we need to be growing these trees we need to be making our houses out of the stuff less of this concrete honestly like the, the, the video <laughs> well, sure you can grow concrete <laughs> yeah, you can grow hempcrete you can grow hempcrete and i am all for hempcrete there are so many natural solutions out there i am a fan of tech i don't think tech is going to save us i don't think digital is going to save us i think we need to look natural because we need to get back into balance with this planet. Hmm. Well, there you go, Keir Starmer. If you are uh, listening, <laughs> then uh, get in contact with Mr. Ford. Um, <laughs> uh, right. This has been an absolute pleasure uh, talking uh, to you, Cameron, and just kind of hearing about your uh, thoughts and feelings. I hope the, the listeners uh, have enjoyed that. I'm sure you know lots of different uh, opinions, but isn't that great? Because if we all thought the same, it would be a really boring long uh, <laughs> and uh, I think that's all, all that's left of me to say is uh, thank you very much uh, for listening to Politics on Draft uh, it's goodbye from me James and it's goodbye from me Kartik and we'll see you next week on Politics on Draft Music